0: Financial advisor, Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, September 12th, 2022 edition. I look forward to this hour with you. I am Justin Klein, and I'm ready to answer your finance and investment questions. And the phone number you'll want to use, as always, to give me a call right now is 888 99 Chart. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, leave a message or talk to me live, which I love the live callers as well. Now I've got a packed podcast for you today and my focus point concerns the question behind, are there good inflation fighting investments for retirement portfolios? And we're gonna break down the pros and cons of each because remember, every investment has their pros and cons, their risk versus reward, and it's vital that whenever you're putting money to work, you are well aware of both sides, okay? Now, time permitting, I have some other topics to discuss. One is the amount of flows in the tech sector, money going in, money going out. So I want to go over that because a month, two months ago, I did kind of give a an overview and I want to give an update uh, on that. And then I want to touch on the impacts for the European economy, European manufacturing economy, mainly when it comes to the shutting off of Russian gas and the cost of energy over there. And the fact that that feeds into global supply chains and thus inflation here in the U S. So I want to look at that. Also the junk bond market, things are shifting just a bit, uh, underneath the feet of the junk bond market. And I really want to dive into that because that is always a good leading indicator of what's happening in the broader economy. So, so those are the things that are on my mind. But ultimately this show is about you. So I need to know what is on your mind and what you're thinking about. So let's check in on the market. Actually, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get some voice bank questions today. Uh, we're gonna talk about Vale and is it a good time to buy Euros right now and I have a perspective on the car market and uh, going back in history and helping you understand where that is compared to to history today. So I've got this all planned, but I want to pivot over to the market right now. Today, the S&P was up a little over 1%, about 43 points there. You have the NYSE, which is a much broader index, up about 161 points, and also up a little over 1%. And you had, let's see, uh, you had actually growth. Uh, the growth stocks outperformed a, a bit today, uh, even though rates were up. Uh, the 10-year was up about four basis points. The dollar was down, so that was a bit of a positive. And that was really on the back of the euro, the euro getting a bit of a bid. Uh, part of that, my estimation, had to do with uh, the recent gains from, on Ukraine in, with uh against the Russian army in the northeastern uh, part of Ukraine. And you know they're showing resilience, showing fight, and a little more optimism around uh, that situation over there, which is certainly gonna feed into uh, the expectations, future expectations for energy prices and Europe uh, growth prospects, et cetera. So that was, uh, I think, one of the, the main reasons. Now, tomorrow, we have a big economic number And that is the CPI report. And I've talked about how I expect it to surprise a bit to the downside, but we certainly shall see. Uh, That will go a long way to indicating to the Fed whether or not their inflation fight is working or not. So uh, that was uh, the market today. Uh, Really, the biggest story, though, uh, was actually the silver market. Uh, SLV itself was up 85 cents and over 4%. So the biggest kind of sharp move uh, in the precious metal space after a major sell-off. So I thought that was interesting and something of note and that could be the start of a broader precious metal rally. So that's, uh, that's the market today and we're gonna have fireworks likely tomorrow as well. Now let's pivot over to our first listener question now.
0: Hi, Steve. Justin, I'm calling from San Francisco, K-D-O-W, and I'm thinking of adding this iShare Robotic Artificial Intelligence to my portfolio to diversify. But before I do that, I would like your opinion. Uh, so can you tell me what information you have regarding this iShare Robotic Artificial Intelligence? Okay, Thank you. And I'll be listening. Goodbye now.
1: All right. Looking at the uh, thematic fund, there are a lot of these these days, and this is the iShares Robotics and Artificial Intelligence ETF, multi-sector ETF. And it does have an expense ratio of about 47 basis points, which is a little on the high end for an ETF. Um, But it's going to be very concentrated on the growth side of the market. And historically, these thematic funds are launched at a pretty poor time. And this was launched in 2018. Now they had the nice COVID tailwinds when uh, all the money flowed into the growth stocks. And this one did very well bottom around 20 went all the way up to $50 and change. Now it's back to about 28 and change and clearly in a downtrend, very similar to the tech stocks more broadly and actually Mirrors more the Ark funds uh, more than anything. Sixty-three percent of this fund is in tech, eleven percent industrial, seventeen percent communication services, um, and this is exactly where I do not want to be uh, in this environment. Most of these names are very overvalued. They're now in a downtrend, still trading at crazy multiples, and you want to be in these in, in this fund when uh, it, it finally gets washed out. And I think there's still too much optimism around the tech space, especially with inflation, while expected to come down, going to be sticky uh, high. And that's not gonna be good for uh, the the growth stocks. And you can see that as of late, this continues to kind of languish near its 52 week lows, not really getting a great bounce either. So uh, remember, be looking at companies that produce hard, real assets. That's what this decade is gonna be about. And while there's certainly going to be a trend towards robotics and and artificial intelligence, I think there's uh, probably too much hype there, especially on the artificial intelligence side. Uh, And I'd rather be buying the companies that are more focused on robotics, more focused on the industrial side. Those are the companies that I would be interested in. So this is not the type of broad-based ETF that I would be uh, interested in. So I'm passing. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. So give Invest Talk a call at 8899 Chart.
2: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review
1: comments. Now my focus point concerns the story behind this question. Are there good inflation fighting investments for retirement portfolios and portfolio allocations for those in retirement should include a blend of inflation hedges and inflation beaters, as well as then, you know, the, the types of names that align with your risk tolerance levels. So we're going to talk about this and um, you know, the, there's a 2019 society of actuaries survey and they surveyed pre-retirees and retirees. And they asked what the issues they worried about the most. And two-thirds of pre-retirees cited inflation as a key worry. And remember, this is in 2018 when inflation was kind of bouncing around at the 2% level. But now they were very prescient. And they kind of predicted that in a way. Um, and now inflation obviously is running in the high single digits. And retirees can confront the battle with inflation by buying the right investments in their portfolio and there are kind of three types one are broad inflation hedges another are narrow inflation hedges and then inflation beaters so that's 1 2 and 3 so we're going to we're going to go into that now broad inflation hedges typically align with two groups and that would be one that track the price of the CPI and others that reflect a smaller basket such as commodities or real estate. And you know you have your tips, Treasury Inflation Protective Securities or I-bonds, those are pretty popular, they're pretty safe, direct inflation hedges and their yields are directly tied to the CPI report. Uh, obviously, I-bonds have severe purchase constraints, so $10,000 per year limit how effective they can be for somebody uh, with a large amount of money. Um, so be aware of that. But obviously tips, there are other drawbacks. You can buy more, but there's also the sensitivity to interest rates. And that's why you can buy short-term tips or longer-term tips or intermediate-term tips. And that depends on your, your, your goals with that money. If it's uh, going to be used in the near term, short-term tips are probably better. Long-term time horizons, intermediate tips are probably Better. So those are the broad inflation hedges. And then there's the narrow inflation hedges. And those are tied to specific parts of the economy, either directly or indirectly. So for example, you can buy a commodity tracking fund. That's going to be a bunch of different commodities. Or you can even buy specific funds that track basic materials, energy, agriculture, etc. And the, the big risk is there is that because they're so narrow, they're probably not always going to reflect your basic needs, right? You might pick the wrong time. uh, You might pick the wrong part of the the economy for an inflation hedge, and therefore may not go up as much as the inflation in your life is, right? So that's really the risk there, okay? And then there's also real estate investment trusts. So this is also kind of a narrow inflation hedge because typically, when there is inflation, the owners of buildings, shopping malls, hotels, et cetera, they increase their prices, that uh, feeds into payouts and, and all that, but there's still that same type of risk that's not gonna reflect, reflect one for one exactly what you're feeling in the broader economy. Now, there's, there's uh, you know more important uh, consideration though besides just that tracking of inflation is the risk that you're taking with these obviously commodities go up and down pretty fast and you can have great times in the commodity world and you can have terrible times. And so you'd have to understand that risk profile and whether you're comfortable with that. Okay. And so, and and then timing, you know, a lot of people chase and they often chase at the wrong time. And so you really need to have a longer term view of this. Uh, and for those that maybe are less risk tolerant, you know, I think REITs are going to be a better fit than a commodity type fund. Okay. So those are the ones that track inflation. And then the other would be inflation beaters, which these are ones that over a long period of time, they tend to outperform inflation. So that doesn't mean that every year it's going to be exactly the same. Some years it'll outperform, some years it might underperform. It's not gonna track one for one. You know, this year is a good example. Equities historically have been beaters of inflation. Last year it was, this year it was not, right? It's not going to track one for one. Long-term equities usually beat uh, inflation by about five to 7%, okay? Now then the question is, what type of companies tend to do well, okay? And those are when those are the ones that have dividends that are increasing, dividend growth companies, not just that are paying out a dividend, but grow, can grow their dividend over time, and ideally more than the rate of inflation. Okay, so so usually higher quality, less volatile stocks tend to do better in that environment, and you want to de-emphasize just the simple no dividend growth companies. Okay. Well, we're going to a quick break. Jeremy from Michigan, hang on. You'll be with us next here on Invest Talk at 8899 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer
2: I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course
1: for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Go talk to Jeremy in Michigan looking at Intel.
0: Hey, Justin. So Intel has dropped to a price that I consider really attractive, um, but the chart looks really bad. Um, I've lost 50% since early 2021, so I was wondering what you thought I should look for to identify a good buy point.
1: Well, you want to look, obviously, for chart strength that will uh, indicate that this downturn is getting close to its end. Uh, I'm starting to see a little bit of it, but not nearly enough for me to... Get excited about uh, about the near near term prospects. Now, long term, uh, Intel has you know good technology. Sir, so they've had um, a lot of inroads made by uh, companies like uh, AMD, uh, and they're being brought down with the whole chip sector as a whole, which is which is weak. Um, so the big question is, will their new CEO, who used to be a CT, their CTO, uh, be able to turn the tide? Um, and Will the new Chips Act where they, they're you know, they building more uh, chip foundries here, they're going to produce for other uh, companies, et cetera. You know, that long-term is, a, I think, a vision that will, will pay dividends if they can execute well on it. Um, but that's still a big if. And the chart is not indicating that that is, you know, in the near-term, future. It's more long-term uh, hope, I guess you could say. So what you want to do is look for uh, – where this downtrend has been contained, and it's really been contained within the 50-day moving average. It's found resistance there, um, and you know, especially the 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 hundred-day. That's probably where I would, you know, it'd be an indication that okay, things have actually turned. If it can get above the hundred-day moving average, the 50 will be kind of the first check mark, and then the the second would be that hundred-day moving average. Which is up around thirty-nine dollars per share now that we're at thirty-one fifty-six. Uh, and it's a heavily shorted name, so it's probably one of those names where you see like a big, a big surge uh, that will push the you know, the, the price up uh, quickly and, and, uh, and fast. Um, and that would be that, that first indication that the, the trend is shifting. Uh, but we're not seeing that quite yet. Uh, I like that it's on your radar because uh, I think they still have there's a lot of value down here. Um, but we're not getting a lot of check marks near term that tells me this is going to turn the other way. Thanks for the call. Now, people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes. We'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their question quickly. Chris from Guam says I'm considering adding a company to my portfolio. What do you think is a better buy, Warner Brothers, WBD, or Paramount, P A P-A-R-A? R A? Now, Warner brothers is a recent spinoff Warner brothers discovery. So it's a merger slash spinoff between, uh, remember AT&T owned Warner brothers. They merged with discovery and spun that off. And really the stock's been in a downtrend since, and this is very common for spinoffs, especially for a large company like AT&T, uh, where the owners of, uh, of the AT&T stock are typically in for the dividend. Well, Warner Brothers was spun off, and they're not paying a dividend. So, if you're if you're if you're in a dividend ETF, for example, and you want to, uh, you can only buy, you can only own companies that pay a dividend. And there's a spinoff that doesn't pay a dividend. You have to sell it, and that's been in a consistent downtrend uh, ever since. Uh, their business has obviously uh, certainly uh, been in flux recently, but. I actually think this is a much better franchise than Paramount. Remember, Warner Brothers is HBO, uh, and HBO has a much longer track record of consistency. Uh, now, they they certainly have uh, CNN. That one's struggling, and they're trying to reimagine CNN, uh, maybe into something that's at uh, least in their in their view uh, less partisan. Um, and they own other franchises like Superman, Rick and Morty, Game of Thrones, obviously with HBO. And so I think just overall their suite of uh, franchises are a lot stronger uh, than Paramount. And I think the price is a lot cheaper. Um, Paramount, while it has come down, uh, is continuing to struggle and I'm, not, I'm just not, maybe it's just me. I'm just not a huge fan of their franchises. So there's CBS, Viacom, so think of Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, VH1, CMT. You know, some of those still have some traction, but I feel like they're just a little dated. Uh, not a lot of new franchises like a Game of Thrones that are, are doing very well. And so if I'm picking one or the other, I'm absolutely picking Warner Brothers. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on, uh, let's see, what are we gonna go to? Let's talk about tech stocks quickly. Uh, We'll probably have to pick it up uh, after the break as well, but um, there's been a, um, actually let me pick this up on the other side of this break. There's uh, some new data on where money is flowing within the tech space. And I think it will be vital to help you understand the sentiment within that part of the market. Now, on the next and best talk, the story behind this headline. With more Fed rate hikes likely, how do they affect your wallet? Adjustable rate mortgages could be affected by interest rate hikes, and so will other credit products like credit cards. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today.
2: Have you heard about Riskalyze? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the risk quiz at investalk.com. 8899 chart 88992
1: 4278. Let's touch on the tech sector as a whole. And what's interesting is that investors are selling out of technology-focused mutual funds and ETFs at the fastest clip since February. And that was the first time the tech sector, tech sell-off really intensified. They pulled out about $2.4 billion from those type of funds in the three weeks ending last Wednesday. What's interesting though is that that was right near uh, the beginning of a bit of a, a rally in the markets. And... Um, you know, that's, that's typical timing, bad timing for um, fickle uh, investors. And even after rallying 4.1% this week, the, the, the NASDAQ is down, is, is down around 3.1% over the past month and underperformed the S&P, which is off only 1.3% over the past month. That was before today's move. Now, overall this year, the NASDAQ is down 23%, and that would be the worst performance since 2002, which was in the midst of the first dot-com bust. Now, a lot of this had to do with the sell-off in the bond markets and higher interest rates. We've talked about that, making those future cash flows less attractive, and um, and, and the shift in the economy is also Uh, hurt analyst expectations, which are coming down in a big, big way. And tech stocks still are pretty richly valued. On average, the forward 12-month P ratio of Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Tesla, Meta platforms, and NVIDIA, 38 versus the S&P, 16.7. And expectations for third-quarter earnings within the information technology sector and the communication sector that's where Facebook and Google are housed are down about 9 and 13% ref- respectively over the past 2 months so expectations for those businesses are coming down rapidly and especially those in the semiconductor space Nvidia AMD they face some of the the biggest selling as of late why because analysts continue to believe that the worst downturn in a decade in the semiconductor space is just ahead of us uh, as inventories uh, build and, you know, slower demand for physical products uh, builds inventory. Okay. So, uh, and, and if you look at option, uh, the options measuring measured called skew, it measures how costly it is to protect against further declines within stocks like Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, NVIDIA, et cetera they are at the highest level in a, in a while and that is a sign that traders are positioning for even bigger drops within that sector and a lot will will hinge on what the fed does you know when do they pivot so maybe they're protecting at the wrong time or we could get a, a counter trend rally but uh, some investors are still bargain hunting. And that's why I say I don't think the sentiment is completely washed out within the space. Although people are pulling money out, it's not at a level where everyone's despondent. I'm still getting a ton of questions within the tech space. We got the call earlier about the robotics ETF. People are are still hopeful uh, in the hope phase. And, you know, it takes kind of grinding losses and just, uh, you know, to, to get sentiment from where it's just drastically over optimistic to something of despondence and we're in the middle of that and in despondence that's where you get great buying opportunities but we're not quite there yet because recently those leverage etfs to the nasdaq recorded its biggest one-day inflow since early june so wanted to give you an overview of that space and let you know that we're not quite at that capitulation phase yet now let's pivot to the InvestTalk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from San Francisco.
2: Hi, uh, this is Dan from the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm calling about the stock symbol B A I don't know if it's pronounced Bale or Valley. Anyway, I was wondering how the heck they can afford to pay such a high dividend. At this time, it's like 23%. Thanks a lot for your answer,
0: bye.
1: All right, looking at Vale, I think that's how you pronounce it. And yeah, if you look at the the previous yield, you're going to look like it's uh, paying a huge amount, uh, but their business did really well in 2021. That's expected to come down, uh, but you also have to realize that their business is denominated not in dollars. It's a Brazilian company and they're... Rule of law is a little bit different than ours as well, uh, and so that means the risk within this is is, is different, and their business is all around. Uh, if you look at the history of their cash flows and, and their dividends and their in their earnings, and this happened in two thousand and eleven, when their dividend went from eight cents a share to a dollar twelve in about a year, and you've kind of seen that recently, but it's coming back down again. Again, so this is, you know, it paid a September of last year, it paid a dollar 50, but this recent quarter, it paid 68 cents. So it's cut the dividend, right? So if you extrapolate 68 cents out for an entire year, that's something closer to, yeah, that's, that's, that's not 10%. That's not 10%. So remember you, you. Too many people focus on what is the dividend yield they're seeing on the screen and you always need to go look at the dividend history. Is this a company that is consistently paying the same dividend each and every quarter? Or is, is it is it volatile? Does it go up and down based on their economic prospects, based on currency fluctuations? Cause that happens a lot too, where it's a foreign co- company and it pays out based on it, its local currency, but how that translates into dollars depends on how strong or weak the dollar is compared to that currency, like the Brazilian real right now. So you always need to do a little digging. remember dividends are not sacrosanct. They can move however they want. This is not a bond. Dividends are not bonds. You buy a bond; they're going to pay you that set coupon unless they default, and that's how it works. It's pretty straightforward and simple. Dividends sometimes they're straightforward and simple. You know, the big blue chip names they kind of increase their dividend a couple percent per year, and it's kind of consistent. Uh, but commodity names, absolutely not. Their business is all over the board. They can eliminate their dividend very easily. It's not something that they have to do. So does that mean you shouldn't buy volley? No, I think it's a I think it's a pretty good risk versus reward after this large pullback. Uh, but don't expect 10% dividend, because it's likely going to come in lower. Thanks for the call. Now, my perspective today looks at cars. In a large part of our economy and lifestyle over the years involves cars. And when they were first invented, cars were called automobiles. Kind of crazy, right? Seems ancient to call them automobiles today. But with the push towards EVs gaining momentum, you might wonder how large the US auto market is compared to the rest of the world. Now, more Americans today are driving older cars than in previous years. Part of that had to do with, hey, they were forced to. price of cars were too high. They couldn't really get into the, a new car at a reasonable price. And 16-year-old cars and trucks comprise 21.1% of the vehicles in the U.S. Now, 53.3 million older cars, or so-called pre-99 models, still being driven. And if you want to know how many cars are there are on Earth, 1.446 billion vehicles in the world. Pretty crazy, right? 19% of those vehicles are in the U.S., but most of the cars, about one-third, are in Asia. Obviously, China is a big chunk of that. Europe is about 28% of the world, world's vehicles, and North America in whole, including Mexico and Canada, 24% of the total. And how many cars are on the road in the U.S. as of 2021? About 289 million. And if you look at the production of cars... Back in 1924, we only produced about 3.6 million cars. Was about 4.3 million by 1928. But in comparison, in 1928, the UK only produced 212 thousand, Germany 90 thousand, Russia 1 thousand. So we dominated. That's what. That's how GM and Ford uh, became so big. They were the main producer of cars in the entire world. Okay. And back in 1913, there were only 485,000 cars made here in the U.S. Now, we produce that here in the U.S. in a couple-week period. And how many, are, how many EVs are on the road today in the U.S.? Only 2 million. So, think about that. Less than 1% of the cars on the road are EVs. And the average cost of an EV? $60,000. So, pretty expensive when you think about it. And makes it difficult for, I think, uh, these car, these, these EV companies to really get to scale to where they're profitable, to where they're reasonably priced. Think of the cost of the inputs right now. They're already on the rise and it's only 2 million vehicles uh, on the EV side. So, you know, a lot of hope around the sector, but it's going to be very difficult, especially for the auto makers, the EV makers, to make profits anytime soon. Now iTunes, let's pivot back to an iTunes review question. No clue says, 15% of my portfolio is in cash now and I've been looking at value funds. My attention gets diverted to dividends, so what are your thoughts on RDIV and SPYD or should I find the best large cap value fund and ETF? Well, you're looking at two ETFs that are focused on high dividends, the SPYD, is the S&P 500 High Dividend ETF and then the other is the Invesco S&P Ultra Dividend Revenue ETF and neither of them get me too excited to be honest with you. Uh, and you know if I'm picking one or the other, let's see. I mean the good thing about RDIV, no technology shares, mainly focused on energy 10%, financial services 22 industrials industrial is only five, which is kind of low, 20% in healthcare, and 17% in utilities. So that heavy healthcare portfolio makes me a bit queasy. I don't like it that high. Whereas SPYD, that's more focused on financial services, 9% energy, a little more diversified, 14% real estate. I like that. So I'm picking one or the other. It's definitely going to be SPYD, but if you're looking for I I, I would go with more of a a value fund, a large cap value fund, because that's what these basically are. They're large cap value funds, but with only dividend payers, but I wouldn't focus on high dividends. If you're focusing on dividend funds, you want to be focused on dividend growth funds, dividend growth funds, because those long-term outperform the high dividend ETFs most of all. Um, And then when you buy a value fund, then the manager is able to pick any company, whether it is paying a dividend or not. Think of Berkshire, right? Berkshire would be a value type of investment, but they don't pay a dividend. So they're excluded. So I don't really like that. I like the ability to kind of find the best values in the market, whether they pay a dividend or not. So SPYD over RDIV, but I rather go with a value fund. Now let's get another voice bank question from eight 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 ninety nine chart.
0: Hello, Invest Talk. My question is: Is it a good idea to buy euros or British pounds right now that they're very low against the dollar as a future investment, or just to have as a cash reserve and then trade them in later? That is my question. Thank you very much. Look forward to your answer on the show.
1: It's a great question. The euro is down, right? We're back at. We're a parody. We haven't seen that since the '90s, and you know, switching dollars into euros would be a play towards, uh, or really a bet on the Ukraine Russia crisis coming to an end relatively soon. Uh, that the politicians there will pivot to probably nuclear and something that uh, from the energy standpoint is more sustainable instead of relying on Russian, cheap Russian gas. Uh, And it's going to be, I think, a a long slog, but near term, you are seeing some technical support uh, and technical improvement on the Euro versus the dollar. Uh, That's really been driving the weakness in the dollar as of late, not necessarily the yen, it's more the Euro. Uh, And so, you know, To diversify your, your currency exposure, I don't think it's a bad idea to be moving some money into to the euro right now. Uh, it's certainly risky. Um, you probably want to match that asset with a, a future liability. What I mean by that is you won't do that right now if you're going to go to Europe in three months, right? You have a planned trip, maybe not three months, probably don't want to go there in the dead of winter, but maybe... In the spring, you're planning to go to Europe. This is a good time to maybe lock in that that pretty attractive exchange rate of dollars to euros. That's the way I would think about it. Um, But besides that, it's just more speculation, uh, decent speculation based on the chart, but I wouldn't be wholesale doing it uh, in a big way unless you have some, like I said, some future reason for those euros. Thanks for the call. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, each and every weekday, which is to help move you towards your own version of financial freedom. Give you the mindset, the tools, the ideas, the data to make good investment decisions for yourself. It's going to be different than the person next to you, your cousin, your friend, your brother, your sister, etc. But if you have the right mindset, you can. Be consistent with your decision-making and do it with a clear, open mind. And that is vital in this investing game. So we are here to help you in any way we can. So we're moving into our final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 888-99-CHART.
2: Two portfolios are alike and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call Invest 888-99-CHART.
0: Hey, Steve or Justin, call from Ohio. I uh, you guys can talk about Pfizer. I know that when it was originally approved, uh, and I'm
2: referring to the vaccines, there was a, a jump in price over a four, five, six month period. And then again, when they approved the boosters, They just recently approved the new booster, and I work in a pharmacy. I've seen a lot of interest from patients. I know they also have the new COVID um, treatment medication, the Paxlovid, and uh, I've actually seen a huge uptick in that being prescribed as well. My question is, do you think that would be a good short-term play, like uh, five to six months? Just looking to see what you guys think about that, and uh, I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks.
1: All right, looking at Pfizer, and I actually think it's the exact opposite. Uh, because while you talk about a lot of things getting approved, what you did not point out is that the government is no longer buying these things. They have pulled back funding for the vaccine, and it's really up to the pharmaceutical or the, the the healthcare companies and providers for to pay for uh the vaccine and so there's not that kind of endless supply of money coming from uh government um and while they approve the boosters the data continues to come in pretty bad when it comes to long-term effectiveness of the vaccines after about six months it actually makes your ability to, uh, you're you're actually more likely to catch uh, COVID after the six-month mark, after getting a booster or the, the original um, uh, vaccine. So obviously doesn't help transmission. It uh, can hurt your immune system long-term. Uh, and then there's the potential side effects. And so clearly, you know, it hasn't really been great. The data as it goes along is not uh, showing that these are uh, as safe and really effective as they were touted to be. Um, now, are they right for a certain group of people? Probably, um, but clearly not for everybody. And that's what the data continues to show. So while they, uh, they, they are, they are, um, they are proving it uh, less and less people are wanting it um, because they're paying attention to the data and they realize they don't need it, especially if you're young and in relatively uh, good condition. Uh, and so, uh, and then when the plaque you know, they're, had a lot of rebound cases. So it's getting prescribed, but, you know, it's, you know, has mixed effectiveness kind of longer term. It, it, it helps near term, but then there's the bounce back, you know, uh, uh, Biden had it, um, Fauci had the bounce back from Pax it, et cetera. So it's a very common thing that happens. Um, and so I actually think the vaccine industry when it comes to COVID is in stark decline. Uh, and we're actually short Moderna. Now Pfizer, they have a lot more diversity to their business, whereas Moderna is very, very focused on uh, the you know their the entire business basically is is the vaccine, and so so we're not short Pfizer itself plus Pfizer pays a dividend, etc. So absolutely not, I would not be owning Pfizer. It's in a downtrend. Uh, its business or its uh, prospects for its earnings are also in a downtrend. From six fifty this year to expect to be five dollars and twenty five cents next year. And I expect that to decline much, much further. And then you just have, I think it's been kind of a bad look uh, for Pfizer as a brand. So uh, absolutely, I would not own Pfizer. Thanks for the call. Lastly, let's touch on Europe. Do we have time for Europe? Okay. So uh, what's interesting here that's happening in Europe is that the many European industries are now shutting down because they don't have access to cheap energy and energy prices are dramatically higher So for example in Slovakia uh, the uh, a large aluminum producer in uh, Slovakia which which actually consumed nine percent of the entire country's electricity they were paying 45 euros per megawatt hour for their power and as of late August they had a thousand euros per megawatt hour a 20-fold increase increase in the costs. And so these, a lot of large, especially metal producers are winding down their, their production. And uh, some are just going to recycling because that's now the most profitable thing. And they're laying off workers and especially in the uh, also in the uh, fertilizer space as well that is uh, pivoting back here to the US they're importing a lot of raw materials from the US now that you know we still have relatively cheap uh, energy compared to to Europe and companies like ArcelorMittal the world's largest steel maker they're shutting down factories in Germany and they've already reduced gas demand by 40% in germany from what they planned at the start of the year so you're seeing that demand destruction from those high prices uh but you know if you're they're forever shut off from cheap russian gas it's going to change the 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 supply chain dynamics around the world when it comes to industrial materials and i think that's a big opportunity for us here in the us and already pivoting to creating that supply chain here I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Our official Invest Talk downloads are now over the 45 million mark last week, thanks to you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.